It is really good to be back after multiple weeks of not being able to be here. Um, I jokingly was saying that I usually probably try to teach about 30 minutes, but we got three of them, so it might be an hour and a half sermon today. And I think Duke told me he prepared nine songs, so we, we might just blow right through lunch. Um, yeah, there we go. One person will still be here, right? But no, it's good to be back. Um, it, hopefully everybody realized that we were canceled over the past couple weeks. What we try to do when the weather's bad, if we have to cancel, we try to put it on Facebook, on Instagram. We, um, there's an app called Voxer we try to put it on. And we also leave a, a message on the voicemail machine here in case someone calls in. So if there's ever inclement weather and you're wondering, are we still on? One of those ways will hopefully tell you or text somebody else that may know and try to get the message out. But but like I said, it, it's good to be back. We've been going through the book of Acts for quite some time. And if you're like me, after two weeks off and then Christmas and New Year's and all that stuff, it's kind of like, wait, where are we again? So we're going to kind of do a quick rundown of where we are in the book of Acts. And the, the book of Acts is really like what comes next. It's Jesus had died, he had risen again, and he had ascended into heaven. And then it kind of deals with really what happens after that. What um, how does the, the good news of Jesus spread? And so you meet guys like Peter, which we've already known of Peter, but you see guys like Peter and you see him spreading the message to people. You see Philip the evangelist spreading the message to people. And then there's a guy named Saul who's persecuting Christians, right? And he becomes a Christian. He starts spreading the message like crazy. In fact, he goes on three different missionary journeys. His first missionary journey is with a guy by the name of Barnabas. Then they split part ways. And then he goes out with a guy named Silas. And again, he's spreading the message of Jesus. And then he goes on a third missionary journey, which is where we are in the book of Acts. So in this third missionary journey, really what Paul's really trying to do is, it says that he's strengthening the disciples. Another place it says that he's seeking to strengthen the brothers. And another place it says that he's trying to strengthen the churches. And so what Paul is doing is he's traveling around, he's trying to strengthen people to encourage them to, another place says that he's trying to encourage them to keep the faith. And so that's what Paul's doing. He's traveling all over the place, everywhere where he can get to encourage, to strengthen, and to, to challenge people. And he's been in Ephesus for about three years. And the text that we're going to get into today, it says that there was no small disturbance. And we're going to talk about that, but in order to really understand that disturbance, we need to really understand Ephesus. So Ephesus at the time when Paul's traveling there was like the third largest city in the known world. And it was a culture that actually was a lot more like ours than what I think we would just naturally think of. I think when I think of olden days, I think of like, you know, people like living in little huts and this and that. But, but Ephesus was different than that. Ephesus was a big city, the huge city. They had um, a theater that would seat like 24,000 people. They had gymnasiums. They had public restrooms. It was a big deal. The city was a big deal. And inside of that city, there was a temple called the Temple of Artemis that was a very big deal. It was considered to be like the seventh wonder of the world, of the ancient world. And in it, there was thought to have been what they called a sacred stone that was thought to have been a meteorite that fell from Jupiter. And when it fell, it looked like the goddess Artemis. And so they put it in this temple, this huge temple. And so in this, uh, like I said, the temple of Artemis, they, they worshipped this, this group of people, this, this whole area worshipped all sorts of gods. 
a lot of Greek mythology type of stuff, and so they worshipped the goddess Artemis, and she was known for fertility and about nature, and she was kind of like the, the, the goddess of the moon. And so all of these people make this trek, you know, to get to the, to the temple of Artemis. And so the city was huge, um, and Artemis was a really big deal there. And really what you see is that the people are worshiping so many things other than the God that created them. And in that way, I think it is very, very similar to our culture. We were, Jim and I were talking even a little bit ago before people got here, and we said, man, and it's, it almost feels like we don't think that we worship things other than God. It's like we look at the people and we're like, how crazy is it that they would bow down and worship the goddess Artemis? And yet, how often do we bow down and worship things like our phones or TV or our stuff or people? And so today what we're really going to talk about is idolatry. It's worshiping something other than God. If you have your Bibles, you can flip open to Acts chapter 19. We're going to read 19, or chapter 19, we're going to read verse 23 through 26. Acts chapter 19, verse 23 through 26. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that God's made with hands, are not God's. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all of Asia and the world worship. And then I'm going to read 28 too. When they heard this, they were enraged and they were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Let's pray. Father God, um, I know in my life I can um, act like that you sit in the place of um, my worship, that you are in the, the high and exalted seat. But God, if I'm really honest, oftentimes you don't. God, I think it's that way for all of us in this room. So I pray that today that you would open up our hearts so that we may see what it is that we truly worship and that you may lead us to your feet. In Jesus' name, amen. In this, what, what Paul is teaching, what Paul is, is doing is it says he's persuading them to turn away from false gods. And really, he, that's, that's the big thing that he's doing. To strengthen the churches, to strengthen the disciples, he's trying to teach people like there was one God and we worship him and him alone. And he knows that there's this thing in you and in me and in, in everybody in that day and age, there was this thing that would kind of cause us and lead us to worship something other than God. And you can see it all the way in the Bible, all the way back right after the fall. But really, the time that I think that you see it most clearly is in the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, God's people, the Israelites, are in slavery. So here they are, they're slaves. 
They have this quota. They got to make bricks. They're brick makers. Boom, 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 boom. This is what life looks like day in and day out. But then God shows up and he says, I've heard your cry and I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to deliver you from slavery and into freedom. And so if you know the story in Exodus, he, he takes God's people, he takes them, and they get to the, the, the kind of edge of the Red Sea, and it, there's just a sea, they can't get past it, and then the Egyptians are coming after them to kill them, and they're stuck, there's nowhere to go, they've been left, they've left Egypt, but they're just going to get killed, so it seems, but then God parts the Red Sea, and they walk through on dry ground. They get to the other side. If you were here, it's probably been two years ago, we talked about that passage, and it was like, if you took the amount of water that there was and you stood it up, it would have been like you're walking down like New York City with like towers, the walls of water that you walk through on dry land. And you see in that moment that, that God not only had the ability to save them, he had the willingness to save them, and he does save them. And he gets them to, through the other side, and then God says, hey, listen, because I have saved you, let me give you the law. And so first God saves them, then he gives them the law, and he gives them the Ten Commandments. A lot of us, I'm sure, know at least part of the Ten Commandments. You can summarize it to love God, love others. And so God says, look, I saved you, so love me and love other people. Well, while he's passing the law out to God's people, Moses is, is on the mountain talking to God, getting the Ten Commandments, and what happens? The people, they say, man, Moses is taking too long. And they make a golden calf, and they begin to worship it. And in that moment, what is so crazy is like, it was God that just saved you. Like, a golden calf has no ability to save you. It would not have any willingness to save you. And yet, there they are worshiping a golden calf. And I think in that moment, in the Word, you see that people have a huge tendency to find something other than God to worship Something other than the God that has the ability to save them, something other than God that has the willingness to save them, and something that has not saved them. That's what you see in Exodus, and you see it continually. And I think in our text, Paul is persuading people to not worship things rather than the God who, who created them, the God who saved them, the God who redeemed them. So, the issue is, though, is the people that Paul is teaching this to, they do not like that message. And why don't they like the message? Because there's Demetrius and the silversmith. There's this big, big business, right? Anywhere where you get lots of people traveling, where there's like a, a big thing that people come to, what is there almost always right there? A souvenir shop. And for Demetrius and the silversmiths, they had formed this like pretty awesome souvenir shop that we can not only give you, you can not only can you come and you can worship the goddess Artemis, but then you can buy your little figurine and you can go home and you can still worship the goddess of Artemis. And so there was this big business. But I think what's so crazy is Demetrius and the silversmiths do not like the message that Paul is preaching, but do you know why they don't like the message that Paul is preaching? Because it's going to threaten their idol. For Demetrius... The silversmith, his idol is actually not Demetrius, it's not Artemis. His idol is the big business and wealth. And that is going to rock him. What if my big business and my wealth goes away? You pinpoint his idol. He doesn't bow down and worship a golden calf, but he bows down and he worships his business. That has become central in his life. That has become the most important thing. That has become 
his source of identity. It's become his source of meaning. And it's like that for all of us. There's so many different things other than God that can become what brings us joy, what brings us happiness. We can kind of think through, if I just get that, then I will be happy. Or when something's threatened, like I have to keep this because if I don't have this, then what do I have? And when you ask those questions, you can see that there is an idol. And for all of us in this room, there are things that each of us worship. And sometimes it's different things, right? For some of us, we worship our stuff. We worship our car or our house or our phones. We can worship stuff. Like we can freak out if something of ours gets damaged. You get a new car, right? It becomes this little idol and somebody scratches it. What do you do? You freak out. Why? Because it's become so important to you. It's become more important to you than how you treat other people. It's become an idol. We can worship stuff. We can also worship people. For those of you who are married and feel like your marriage is decent, (laughs) I'm joking. I hear people so often say, you know, I've been married for 10 years, happy for three. You know, like that kind of not funny, funny joke. Um, but if you have a good marriage, man, it is really easy to begin to worship your spouse. You can have kids, especially if it was, if you prayed through God, let us have kids and it took a while, it was hard and you finally have this child, man, it is easy to bow down and worship that child. That child has become the center of your universe. It is easy to worship people. It's also easy to worship what people think about you. A group of people. Or if you're single, there's a, maybe there's a certain guy or a certain girl that, man, that would, you can bow down and you can worship. Life can be all about trying to gain the approval of that person. We can worship knowledge. You got to know what's going like, on. You, you can even worship knowledge with this. It's not really about knowing the God of this. It's about knowing as much of this as I can so that I can kind of insert myself into any conversation. I can tell them what the Bible says. People do that. There's people who worship the news. You got to know what's going on in the news. Or maybe it's the the news of the neighborhood, the gossip of the neighborhood. You got to know what's going on. Life is really all about knowing what's going on. That's why some of us scroll through uh, social media continually. We got to know what's going on. We can worship the God of knowledge. We can worship our appearance. Life really becomes about what do I look like? What am I wearing? What clothes do I wear? How do I do my hair? Clearly, I don't worry about my hair. Never had a good hair day. Never had a bad one either, though, with this haircut. But man, can we worship our appearance? Like, you think through, like, why do most people work out? Is it really to be healthy? No, most of the time we work out because we want to look better. Why do we diet? Is it because we really actually are like, you know, God gave me this body, I should take care of it? Or is it like, man, it'd look a lot better if it was just less? <laughs> but man, can we worship our appearances? What about work? Man, it is easy to worship our work. Or our income level. Like if I just get to a point where I start making this, then life will be better. Or maybe the title. There's a, there's a company that I know of that they don't ever really give pay raises, but they'd give you a better title. It's like, man, if I could just have it say director or manager or supervisor, or, you know, like that will be better. And we can worship work or our achievements. 
But as I was thinking about it this week, I also think that there are some of us that what we bow down and we worship, it's not people, it's not stuff, it's not knowledge or appearance or work or achievements. We can bow down and worship our religious deeds. It's almost like we do so much that we can for God and it's like we can almost just be like, this is what brings me importance. Not the God who created you, but the things that you do. And it's almost like we have this thing in us that we can be like, God, look what I've done for you. And God's probably like, yeah, that's cool, but I don't know you. All of us find something other than the God that created us to worship. The question is in your life and in my life, what is that? What is it that you worship? For me, I can, I can identify certain things. I worship stuff. I'm a stuff guy. I can tell you that oftentimes I'll be driving by a car lot and I'll be like, oh man, look at that car. That's a nice looking car. And just the other day, I think, I can't remember if it was Sarah, if it was, who, it was my, maybe my brother. My grandpa has this tendency when he's driving that he's just looking at all sorts of stuff and it's scary as all get out to ride with him. <laughs> Because he's not looking at the road at all. And I think it was my brother when we were in Florida last week and I was with him. He said, man, you just reminded me of Grandpa. You're just staring back at that. And I was looking at a car. Man, we can worship stuff. What is it for you that you find that you worship? Maybe it's the idea of something or maybe it is something. But I think that all of us find someone or something to worship other than God. That's why Paul teaches what he teaches. So I think it's important, especially when you think of, in the Bible, 1 John 5.21 says that we should keep ourselves from idols. So I think it's vastly important that we learn to identify what it is that we worship. What is the source of what you worship? But here's what I was thinking about this week, and I, and I read this article, and, and I'm going to talk a lot about this article that I read, and I was like, holy moly, that is so true. But when you, when you find something that you idolize, whether it's stuff or, or if it's your spouse, when you find that thing that it seems like that almost has become what you worship more than God, it's taken the seat of God in, in your life. And when that happens and you see it, it's almost like if you go into your flower bed or you go into a garden and you see a weed and it's like, man, I, I don't like having weeds. And so you pluck that weed up. But if you don't get the root, what happens? It just immediately comes back. And in this article that I read, it said that all of us find something that we worship, right? But it is much deeper than what you think it actually is. There's a root to it. And almost everything that any of us bow down and worship, the root is almost always one of four things. It's almost always actually about power or control or comfort or approval. So let's explore that for a second. For Demetrius and the silversmiths, they have this idol of their business and wealth. And like life has become about this big business and wealth. So much so that in this text, they freak out. Our business, our wealth is threatened. And so they go and get two of Paul's traveling companions and they drag him into the theater and they're about to freak out. And in throughout the text, as you, if you continue reading, it seems like they almost are ready to, to fight for it, to kill for it. Because the thing is, is when, when you find that you have an idol, if, if it gets taken away, you'll freak out. It will be devastating to you. If something that you, is just good to you and it, and it goes away, it's, you're sad. But if, but if it's the ultimate thing of your life and it is taken away, you will freak out. But for Demetrius, 
and the others, why do they care so much about their big business and wealth? Could it be that the reason why this business and this wealth is so important to me is because if I don't have this, then people won't recognize me. If I don't have this, then will I be known? If I don't have this, will I have influence? And ultimately, for some people, the reason why we worship the things that we worship, it's because we really want power. We want to be known. And I think that's one option of what it could have been for Demetrius and the silversmiths. What about, what about this? Maybe it wasn't power that they really wanted, but maybe the reason why big business and wealth was so important to them is because it gave them control. You know, Demetrius brings the business to the people. So how easy would it have been for Demetrius to have been like, hey, I bring you business, so I want you to do this or do that. Like, we can worship something, but really it goes much deeper. It's probably actually about us wanting power or us wanting control. Or maybe it's about us wanting comfort. For Demetrius and the silversmith, if I, we have this business, and with this business we make a lot of money, and with that money we can buy all sorts of stuff. We can get the, the newest gadget, the best car or chariot, whatever they were using then. We can, we can get the best phone. We can, oh, the new phone's coming out. i got to get the new phone. And, and, and what happens is, is maybe they don't worship their big business and wealth really. What they really are worshiping is the comfort that they can get because of it. Or maybe it's about approval. The reason why big business and wealth is so important to them. The reason why that when this is threatened, it freaks me out is because because of this business and wealth, I'm liked. Not only am I known, but I'm liked. I'm approved of. I'm accepted in certain groups. And if I, if I don't have this, then how will I get that? For me, I'm going to be real open and transparent with you. For me, I worship stuff. Car is something very easy that I can, I can get fixed in my mind. And I don't really believe, well, if I just get that car, it will be better. But in a way, I do. But why is that? Is it because if I get this car, then all you people will be like, oh, wow, Brian drives that kind of car. Wow, he's really cool. I don't, I don't really care. If Brian has that kind of car, he can, it's a powerful car, and he can, he can control it. Like, I, it's not me. You know what mine is? Mine is comfort. The reason why I want the car that I would want, it's because of how comfortable it is. A heated seat, and if you never had a heated seat, don't get one. But now I have this I really, air-conditioned seat. I've never had an air-conditioned seat, but I feel like that would be glorious, Right? But for me, it's really about comfort. And even if I begin to, to worship control or power or approval, it's always coming back to comfort. Um, for those of you who don't know me really well and haven't been to my house, I'm, I may be slightly OCD. Uh, may. Everything has to be in a spot. Like, I don't care if my house is clean, but everything needs to be in its spot. And I can believe it or not, be slightly controlling with my kids for them to make sure that they put everything away where it goes. But I don't do that because I want to be powerful or because I want to be in control. Do you know why I do it? Because when I get home at the end of the day, if there's all sorts of stuff out, I have a very hard time relaxing. 
So before I leave the house in the morning, this is kind of embarrassed to admit, but I'll admit it. Before I leave the house in the morning, I need to make sure all the beds are made. I need to make sure the blinds are open so the blind comes in. And, but, but why is that? Because when I get home at the end of the day, I want to be comfortable. For me, almost everything I begin to worship, it all comes back to comfort. But for you, it may be that it all comes back to power. There's this thing in you that you just want to be known. I remember talking to this guy. He, he was actually um, a pastor. And he said, if I'm really honest, my deepest thing that I, it all comes down to is I want to be great. I want to be famous. He got out of the ministry and he posts like crazy about a business that he's in. And, and there's this, I think there's this thing in him where he wants to be known. He wants to be famous. For other people, it's all about control. For some people, it's all about being liked. No matter what it is that you worship, what, you're, what you can pinpoint, that's almost always the surface level. And it almost always goes deeper to one of those four things. Maybe it's a combination of those four things. So I think it's important that we learn to identify not just the surface idols, but the root idols. How do you do that? I'm going to throw out a couple ideas of how you do that. One, I think that you, um, you look at other people, not in a judgmental way, but Sarah and I were talking the other day, and we were talking specifically about wh- where, what's her struggle. And no offense, uh, mother and father-in-law-in-law, or mother-in-law, father-in-law, but we said, let's look at, let's look at Dale and Jeannie. What are, what's theirs? And when I kind of thought I might have figured them out, it helped me figure her out. So not in a judgmental way, but look at your parents. Do you think that they struggle more with, with being known and wanting, wanting to be known and wanting power? Do they struggle more with wanting control? They struggle more with wanting to be comfortable at all costs, or do they struggle with really just wanting to be liked? And if you figure out what they are, you can say, what ways am I similar? What ways am I different? And it will probably help you identify yours. Because we cannot, we cannot really keep ourselves free from idols unless we understand why we're going to that thing in the first place. So we can look at others, not in a judgmental way, but try to understand what, are, what do I think their struggle would be and how am I similar than that? How am I different than that? To explore, to see where it is for us. Other, other thing we can do is we can really ask people that know us well and then just Listen. Hey, man, what do you see in my life? What is, what, if you had to say what I worship other than God, what is it? Why would you say that? And you just listen. Another thing is you just, what is it that makes me tick? And then you just keep asking questions why. I'm going to run down a couple things. How were you in school growing up? Oh, I did terrible in school. Why? Because I hated school. Why? It just wasn't very fun. Okay, why? Because I didn't really want to learn about that stuff. Okay, why? Because I would rather be at home playing video games. Maybe it's comfort. Why didn't you do well in school? You know, because Mrs. Demeray, man, I did not like her. Why? Well, because she told me what I had to do all the time. Okay, why is that a problem to you? Because I don't want to do what she wants to do. I don't want to do what I want to do. Okay, maybe it's control. 
Do you play sports growing up? Okay, maybe you played sports growing up. Tell me about that. Okay, I, I love sports. Why? Because I did really well, and I was one of the best kids on the team. Okay, why, why was that important to you? Because I knew that people looked at me, and I was known as being that person who was good at that thing. What is it that makes you tick? Keep asking yourself why. What I've found is oftentimes these things that we bow down and we worship, it comes about because of either some of the times it's our greatest achievement and that we saw something in that moment. Wow, people seem to like me or I was known because of that. And so now we're striving through life to get that same feeling. Or sometimes it can be because of the worst thing that has ever happened, our deepest wound. And I still remember that wound and I want to do anything and everything I can to not feel that way ever again. I think it's super important that we learn to identify not only the surface level idols of our life, but to dig and to figure out what the root is. If we never find out what that root is, you're never going to get rid of it. You're just going to transfer what you're worshiping. It may be stuff today. Tomorrow it might be a person. The next day it may be an accomplishment. The next day it may be, you're just going to keep on going from thing to thing to thing. We have to get to a point where we learn what those, what those um, root level idols are. How many people have seen the movie Tommy Boy? It's a really stupid movie, but it's funny too. In the, in the movie, uh, Tommy, his, Chris Farley is his, who, who plays the part of Tommy Boy, and Dan Aykroyd is in the movie, and Dan Aykroyd plays the part of Ray Zelensky. And Chris Farley's really nervous about going to meet with Ray Zelensky, so he gets a car air freshener, remember this part? And he just rubs it all over his body so that he doesn't stink. And then he goes in, and he's, I think it's an elevator, and he sees Ray Zelensky's character, and Ray Zelensky says, hey, you're going a little heavy on the pine tree perfume there, kid. And Tom, Tommy Boy says, uh, it's auto air freshener. And Ray Zelensky says, the first part is pinpointing it. The second is washing it off. But you know what happens? I think in your and I's life, when we find something that we worship, we immediately want to pull the weed rather than pull the root. And what we immediately try to do is just wash it off. Let's just get rid of it. But I think that when we do that, we skip a super crucial, crucial second step when you identify that there is something that has gotten that supreme seat in your heart, step two is not washing it off. Step two is repentance. Think about this. Let's go back to God takes the people out of slavery. And then there they are in the next scene, worshiping a golden calf. What do you think that does to the heart of God? I mean, I feel like if I'm God, I'd be like, look, are you an idiot? It was me that saved you. A golden calf has no ability to save you. It had, would have no willingness to save you. But, but I, I am who, who, who not only was willing and who, who had the ability, but I am the one who did save you. And you're worshiping a golden calf. And for us, I think that we can, we can bow down and we can worship all of these things and we don't even see it as a problem. And we, but at the same time, I think we look just as stupid bowing down and worshiping social media as we would if it was a golden calf. Bowing down and spending our lives centered around our phones. We don't have idols. That's how we think. But I think if we identify it, we learn to repent. You know how often I have to say, God, if I'm really honest with you, 
I would rather my thermostat say a certain temperature than really worship you. If it gets to be about 72 degrees in my house, I will freak out. 62 is about the perfect, if you ask me. (laughs) Do you know that for the longest time I didn't go on a mission trip? Do you know why? If I'm really open and honest, do you know why? I might have said, well, it costs a lot of money and there can be better use of money. And I might have stood behind all sorts of things. But do you really want to know why it was? Because it would be so uncomfortable. To this day, um, my wife would love to go to Africa on a mission trip. You know what percentage of me wants to go to Africa ever? Zero. Do you know why? It is very hot. I do not like to be hot, unless there's a pool nearby. And someone's bringing me snacks. (laughs) But I have to, like, get honest with the Lord. And say, God, if I'm really honest, if I'm really open and real with you, I would rather be comfortable than please you. For some people, you would say, I would rather be known than to please you. For some, it would say, God, I would rather be in control than obey you. For others, I would rather be liked than obey you. If you really think about it, why do people lie? Because there's an idol. I don't want you to know the truth because if if you know the truth, maybe you won't like me. Or maybe if you know the truth, maybe you won't think I'm as good as I want you to to, to think that I am. Why do people steal? Because I want that so bad that is a means for me to get that. The thing is, is we bow down and we worship our idols. We sacrifice for our idols. How many people neglect their family in pursuit of a career? They're making a sacrifice because they would rather have that. For me, it's comfort. I don't know what it is for you, but the step one is to identify the surface level roots and or the surface level and the roots of the idol. And then step two is to repent. God, if I'm honest, I would rather have this than you. Then step three It's letting the gospel wash over you. We always talk about Ephesians 5, 25 and 26 when we talk about marriage. It says, Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, washing her with the water that comes from the word. It's this beautiful, beautiful verse for marriage that a husband should love his wife and should wash her with the word. But forget that it talks about husbands and wives. What's it really say? What it says is that God in his love for his people wants to wash you with the water of the word. Maybe your struggle is power. God is a God who can do exceedingly abundant beyond all you could ask or imagine. 
He wants to wash you with that word. Because you know what I've found is when I really understand how much power God has, I don't really need to be powerful. He wants to wash you with the word. Maybe it's control and he wants to wash you with do nothing. Do not be conformed. To, I got the verse, it's, it's coming. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. What's it say? I got other verses stuck in my head and I can't get it. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. He wants to wash you with that word. Don't feel the need to be in control. Do you know why? Because what God is washing you with is because I am so in control. You don't need to be. He wants to wash you with the word. If it's comfort you struggle with, he wants to wash you with the word. That God is a God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our afflictions. I think about Stephen. Remember Stephen in the Bible? What happens? He's getting stoned to death. Rocks are getting thrown at his face, at his chest, at his knees. And that would be the most uncomfortable thing I could think of, maybe other than drowning. I don't. Rocks are being thrown at him. And what does he do? He looks into heaven and he sees Jesus sitting at the right hand of God and he is comforted. God wants to wash us with the word because when we really understand that he is, that he has comfort, we don't need comfort. What about approval? If it's approval, I think he wants us to wash the word over us. That we want to be liked. We want people to, to approve of us, to accept of us. But when we begin to understand that while we were sinners, he died for us. While we were his enemies, he died for us. He could not approve any more than what he has already shown that he does. And when we begin to really understand the beauty of that message, it washes it away. You can see this, I think, these four root idols throughout the Bible. I'm going to give you a couple instances. And this is, again, I, I, you know, I feel like I'm going way deeper on something, even than maybe probably what the text allows or what it's giving me, but I think that it's super crucial. You look at, in Mark chapter 10, there's a guy, he comes to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And they have this discourse back and forth, and it ends with, the, with Jesus saying to him, okay, sell all of your possessions... Give the money to the poor and come follow me. And it says that the guy goes away sorrowful. Surface level idol, his possessions. But was, it, was it really about his possessions or was it about the power that he felt because of the possessions, the control that he felt because of the possessions, or the comfort that he had in his possessions, or was it really about how people thought of him because he had the possessions? Man, we can think of what our, what's, what's your highest aspiration? Like, I mean, so many times people say, man, I just really wish I'd win the lottery. Okay, that'd be great. Why? Probably comes down to one of the four. You find another place in the Bible, um, Ananias and Sapphira. Remember the story? Ananias and Sapphira, they sell a plot of land, and they say that they give all of the money to the Lord, but they don't. They keep some of it back. Is really money what they worship? Mm -mm. They want to be known as people who would give it all for the Lord. 
even though they're not willing to be. Their appearance is so, so important to them. Or maybe it's about the fact of control. Like, you know what? If, if we give all of the money, and what if this Jesus ends up not being who he says he is? And what, like, I mean, or if, if the church really crumbles, and, and if it, what do we do? And we'll just keep some of the money back because then we can kind of control what happens afterward. We could give all of the money, but you know what? If we give all of the money, we won't have money to buy that newest thing that we want. So let's just say that we gave it all and we'll keep some of it back so we can buy that thing. For them, it could have been about approval. Man, if we give all, if we tell people that we gave all of this, man, they'll probably think we're pretty cool and they'll like us. We'll be, we'll be accepted as one of the brothers. Maybe we'll even be considered for this position. And you can see it throughout the word. Simon the Magician, remember Simon the Magician? He, he, he's going around doing fake magic stuff in the book of Acts. And he comes to know Jesus, and then Peter comes and he lays his hands on people and the Holy Spirit comes down upon him. And you know what Simon the Magician says? He says, it doesn't, I don't think it actually says this. My translation says, dude, how much money for me to be able to do that? What does Simon really want? Does he really want the to be able to lay hands on somebody and the spirit come? Is that really what has become his idol? No. You know what his idol is? Power. All of us in this room have surface idols and there's roots to those idols. If we never identify them, we won't, we won't be able to move forward. So step one is to identify them. Step two is to repent. And step three is to let the beauty of Christ wash over us. All of us have a tendency to worship something other than the God that did save us, other than the God that could save us, the God that would save us. What is it for you? We are told to worship him and him alone. Do you know why God um, saves the Israelites and then he gives them the law and the reason he gives them the law is so that they would be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, a blessing to all nations. Sometimes I think that the reason why we and the church maybe aren't a holy nation. The outsiders don't look at the people in the church and like, wow, I mean, the reason why they don't see us as a kingdom of priests is because we say we're worshiping God, but they look into our lives and they see, no, they're not. If we're honest, I think all of us have found something to put in that high seat. When we get to a point to where we really understand just how powerful God is, that he has unlimited power, we won't care about power. When we begin to understand that God is in complete control no matter what is happening, we won't feel the need to be in control. When we understand that true comfort comes from Christ and Christ alone, we will not need to have earthly comfort. When we truly understand that we are fully approved of by God, that while we were enemies, he died for us. When we understand that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, 
when we realize there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, when we understand how much he approves of us, we don't need the approval of other people. There are people in this room, you struggle with power, you want to be known, you want to be recognized, you want to gain influence. You want to be known as someone who's capable, talented, skillful, or competent. Really, your life is centered around wanting to be great. There are others in this room that what you really want is to do what you want, when you want. You want to be the boss. You want to be the master. You want to have authority. You want to be the one who's ruling. Some that you want comfort. You want a life of ease. You want peace. You don't want to be bothered. You don't want to be interrupted. You want to have a life of pleasure, enjoyment, luxury. You want to relax. You want to be satisfied. For others, your idol is an idol of approval. More than anything, you want to be liked. You want to be approved of. You want to be accepted. You want to be acknowledged. You want to be popular. You want to be cherished. None of those things have any ability to save you. None of those things would have any willingness to save you. But there is one who did. His name is Jesus. And despite the fact that we worship these things that won't save us, Jesus was on the cross and he said, Lord, forgive them for he do, they do not know what they do. Paul is going around, he's strengthening the churches, he's strengthening the disciples, he's strengthening the brothers with a message of love God and worship him and him alone. My prayer is that God will open up our eyes to see what it is that we're worshiping and that we would repent and we would put him in the seat of high authority. Let's pray. God, um, It was you who created me. It was you who loves me. It's you who died for my sin. It is you who deserve to be in the seat on high in my life. But God, I confess that I so often worship stuff. I worship people. I worship a title or an income level. Or I can worship what my bank statement says. God, forgive me for that. And I pray that for all of us in this room that you would open our eyes to see what it is that we worship and that we would repent and that we would come sit before you, the only one who could save us, the only one who would save us, the only one who has saved us, the one who takes us out of slavery and puts us into freedom. God, you are good. And I am so thankful that despite your willingness to save, your ability to save, and me still having things other than you that I bow down and worship, that you still love me and you say to me, come to me. God, I pray that we would come to you. In your awesome and precious name. Amen.